0: The fundamental problem for economic theory is that if you were to look over the last 20 years, we don't seem to be able to grow our economy without either public debt or private debt increasing. And that is really problematic.
1: Hello, my name is Kirsty Stiles and welcome to the weekly economics podcast from the New Economics Foundation. This week we've got a super special guest, it's Lord Adair Turner, former chairman of the Financial Services Authority, here to talk to us about the continued low interest rates and the problem of household debt.
0: You might have thought that with the interest rates near to zero and quantitative easing, printing money that monetary policy here in the UK couldn't have got any weirder. Central banks, I think, are indulged in a sort of an experiment, which I think is like Frankenstein's laboratory. It's been a long, long march for the British economy since the bank cut its interest rate to almost zero at the beginning of 2009.
1: Up it finally went. The long-awaited and long-predicted interest rate hike was announced today by the Federal Reserve.
0: Governor, in the last few months, you've repeatedly said that the decision to raise interest rates would come into sharper relief at the turn of the year. It's patently not going to come into sharper relief at the turn of the year. Do you regret saying that? (laughs)
1: Um,
0: Thank you, Robert. Um...
1: So hello, Lord Turner, our first Lord on the podcast, as it happens. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. So you said recently that you expect almost indefinite low interest rates. What do you mean by that?
0: Well, at the moment the Bank of England's interest rate, at which it, as it were, lends money to banks and banks deposit money at the Bank of England is, is 0.5%. It's half percent uh, per annum. And as a result of that very low rate, of what the Bank of England does, we also have, you know, pretty low rates for deposits. There are people depositing money into the banking system at maybe only one and a half, two percent, and there are pretty low rates for, you know, mortgages as well. They're much lower than they were in the past, and I anticipate that those low rates are going to be with us for several more years. Now, the bit which is the thing that the Bank of England determines or in the US the Federal Reserve determines is what's called the policy rate, the bank rate or the Fed funds rate. I believe that... Uh it's unlikely that the Bank of England will increase that 0.5% till well into next year at the earliest. And I'd be very, very surprised if that's higher than 2% in 2020. And I think an increasing number of people are realising that that's the case. Um, It's taken a lot of people a long time to wake up for it. We went through a, a series of years in 2010, 2011, 2012, where the markets were always anticipating that we'd get back to the sort of 4 or 5% rates that we had before the crisis. And I think increasingly we realise these low interest rates are here to stay for quite a long time.
1: So is it just up to the Bank of England or the the Fed, as you say, to pick a number out of thin air?
0: Well, the Fed and the Bank of England, or in the Eurozone, the ECB, they set that rate at which they lend to the banks or the banks deposit with them. Sometimes it's the same rate, sometimes there's a slight difference in what those rates are. They set that in order to try to hit an inflation target. So in the UK, our target rate of inflation is plus 2%. It's not zero. We believe that it's better to have a little bit of inflation than none at all. And the Bank of England is given a mandate by Parliament which says you must try and hit 2% and you must try very hard to not make it more than 3% or less than 1%. At the moment, it's not much above zero. It's sort of 0.3 or so uh, bobbing around that level. So it is well below... Uh, inflation this is. It's well below the target level. And what the Bank of England is continually doing and the body that does it within the Bank of England is called the Monetary Policy Committee, they're continually reviewing all of the information uh, about the development of the economy. And they are deciding whether to adjust the interest rate, either to sort of speed the economy up a bit or slow it down a bit, in order to hit the inflation target of 2% sometime over the next uh, two to three years. So that's the decision-making process that they're going through, and that's what all central banks are doing.
1: So it doesn't sound like... The uh, preferred method for controlling inflation or increasing inflation, uh, changing the interest rates, is doing what they expect it to do. Uh, The markets and the media said uh, that there would be a recovery in interest rates in 2009, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 and 15. So why have they kept interest rates so low for such a long time if it's not doing what they expect
0: it to do? Well, their argument would be that if they didn't have it so low, inflation would be even lower and i think that's almost certainly a good argument that if they had if we now had a bank of england interest rate of 2% i think we probably have negative inflation so they would say we've cut the interest rate to try and stimulate the economy And if we hadn't cut the interest rate to stimulate the economy, the economy would be even more slow growing uh, and low inflation. So the argument is whether they should cut the interest rate further. Now, they don't believe they need to do that. They think if they keep it at around 0.5% in the UK and maybe take it up a bit next year, that the economy will return to 2% inflation over the next few years. That's what their forecasts uh, suggest. But, of course... That has not occurred over the last few years. All of the central banks of the world are, as it were, failing to meet their inflation targets. That is partly because of a one-off factor, which is the fall in the oil price, which in one level is, as it were, good deflation. That's a good reason for prices to come down. Um, But the danger is that that fall is becoming self-fulfilling, that because inflation is low, people are not granting or demanding or getting uh, pay increases. And so the inflation rate doesn't just go down temporarily because of a lower oil price. It sticks down there permanently. And that is, we believe, and I think rightly, is uh, uh, harmful for the dynamism of the economy.
1: So it sounds like there are more factors at play here than perhaps just interest rates and inflation.
0: Well, we've had low inflation rates all the way since 2009. So in the course of autumn 2008 and early 2009, the Bank of England cut the interest rate from, if I remember rightly, in mid-2008 about 5%, down to 0.5%, half percent. And it stayed there ever since. Uh, I think it is the case and all the economic models would suggest that, that the impact of those cuts of interest rates has been to make the economy grow a bit faster and with a slightly higher rate of inflation than would have occurred if they hadn't done that. Uh, Now, why is that? It, it, It does that because it makes it easier for companies or households to borrow money. And because it's easier for companies to borrow money, they might invest more. Because if households find it easier to borrow money, they might be more willing to buy a new house and spend on a new house. So on the whole, lower interest rates will tend to stimulate some combination of real growth in the economy and in, and inflation. And that has been the aim of these low interest rates. And it's probably been the effect over the last seven years. The problem is it's not quite been as big an effect as the model suggested it would be. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that the whole world is struggling simultaneously with too much debt.
1: So you've warned that household debt could lead the UK towards another financial meltdown. And obviously, uh, as you've already identified, uh, low interest rates make it easier to borrow. So what are politicians and regulators doing about that mountain of debt?
0: Well, we have a high level of household debt. As a percentage of national income, it has actually come down in the last five years. Uh, since the crisis, or or even seven years, because we've had a a growth of mortgage debt in particular, which has been slower than the growth of the economy. We've had a little bit, not a huge amount, but some of what is called deleveraging, a, a reduction in the leverage ratio, the level of household debt relative to GDP. And that's useful. It has, however, been offset by the fact that public debt has gone up massively in that period. And in, to deal with the public debt, which is now 80% of GDP or thereabouts rather than 40% back in you know, 2006 or 7 um, we've got fiscal austerity, we've got consolidation, cuts in public expenditure and, and tax increases. And that will tend to slow the economy unless we then switch back to more private debt. And the fundamental problem, and it's a fundamental problem for economic theory, is that if you were to look over the last 20 years, we don't seem to be able to grow our economy without either public debt or private debt increasing. And that is really problematic because if the only way we know to grow economies is for one or other of those to increase and for the two combined to increase, which is what has been happening, then eventually we'll, we will face a crisis again. So at the moment, The growth of mortgage debt is not at a level where it is concerning. The growth of unsecured consumer credit is beginning to look a little bit faster than one would want. But one one has to watch very carefully over the next several years is whether mortgage credit growth does return to the over-rapid pace and the dangerous pace of growth which occurred before the crisis.
1: So that sounds like debt, debt and more debt. Um, You used to be chair of um, what used to be called the Financial Services Authority. What would you be doing now if you were still in that role?
0: Well, we have this problem of too much debt. That raises two public policy issues. The first is, what do we need to do to grow our economies to stop creating too much debt in the first place? And I have proposed a whole approach to that, which is completely different from the approach of the Financial Services Authority before the crisis and before uh, I became uh, chairman. In those years before the crisis, The FSA really had a philosophy that it wasn't its job to look at the total amount of credit uh, being created in the economy. And even if it had thought it was a job, it didn't have the tools to control the total amount of credit. So since the crisis, we've set up within the Bank of England, and I was a very strong supporter of this, a thing called the Financial Policy Committee of the Bank of England. And this is a body where the regulators And the central bankers get together and they decide whether the total amount of credit being created in our economy is too much and whether we should slow that down by imposing loan to value limits on lending, loan to income limits, uh, imposing higher capital requirements on the banks. So, in order to slow down the excessive growth of credit in the upswing, uh, I believe we need these very strong, what are called macro prudential tools, which we didn't have before the crisis, and which frankly, people didn't believe in before the crisis. Before the crisis, we sort of believed that the job of the Bank of England was to move the interest rate to achieve low and stable inflation, and that was pure, and that the job of the FSA was to apply a set of non-changing rules in a non-discretionary, somewhat legalistic fashion. And if they each stuck to those roles, everything would be fine. But I'm afraid it was based upon economic theories that were quite wrong. And that absolute division of responsibility um, ended in disaster.
1: So this is our final question, I guess a bit of an abstract moral question for you. Whose fault is it that people take on debts that they can't repay? Um, you've written a book called Between Debt and the Devil. Who or what would you say is the devil?
0: Ah, well, the devil in the title actually is, is about uh, the idea that you can print money to get out of too much debt. And I actually argue that you can, under certain circumstances, uh, do that. So the devil in my title is not the too much debt. What I'm drawing a distinction with is what people often think of as the devil, as the person who tempts the politicians to print money versus private debt, which they think of as good. But if I go back to your question of, you know, sort of who's to blame, etc., I think we have to focus on the design of the overall system. You cannot blame an individual for wanting to borrow money to buy a house. And let's be clear that you know, borrowing money to buy a house should absolutely be part of the system and up to a point is a good thing to do and it could be good for individuals and up to a certain level could be good for the economy. But the paradox here is that an accumulation of decisions by borrowers and lenders, each of which, if you looked at it individually, was sensible, served a good welfare purpose, you know, produced a loan that people paid back, An accumulation of too much of that in aggregate can produce harm to the overall economy. And that is, you know, something which people find very difficult to understand. But it's the absolute core of the way that the macroeconomy, as we call it, works, that the impact of individual decisions all aggregated up together can be quite different from if you try to look at them on a one by one individual basis.
1: So thank you very much uh, for joining us uh, Lord Turner um, and explaining something about the relationship between interest rates, inflation and of course debt. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll be back at the same time next week. The Weekly Economics Podcast is brought to you by the New Economics Foundation, an independent think tank and charity that campaigns for a fairer, sustainable economy. Find out more and get involved at neweconomics.org.